I mostly read public domain books here on Glenn Reads Books to You, and they were written a long time ago, so they're usually racist or sexist or bigoted. But in there somewhere is a story, and uh, that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist. But they might have uh, adult language or adult situations, like, uh, oh, I don't know, making sex. Uh, So that's your warning. But I'm sure you're grown up enough to handle it. Uh, Don't write to me complaining. Oh, finally. I could sit down and be left alone with this pu- uh, uh, What are you doing back? Now, for Christ's sake, I was trying to have some quality alone time. I was trying to date myself. Uh, I'm recording on Easter Sunday, uh, the day uh, where you're supposed to remind yourself that uh, uh, you can masturbate and it's fine. So, uh, but you're here in my house again. God damn it. And what, you want me to keep reading to you, The Great Gatsby? Fine. When are you going to get your own boyfriend slash girlfriend or whatever and move on with your damn life and stop coming to my house uh, uh, welcome to the Glen Reads Books to You mansion it's a fun little bit where I pretend to live in a mansion and not just recording in my basement this is where I read the hottest public main books short stories uh, this week I'm going to keep reading The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald uh, a book that a friend of mine Backy Wop asked that I read oh about two years ago uh, and I'm finally getting around to it so are you happy uh, you can find him at versimilitudino.us, which I'm linking in the notes because good luck trying to spell it I can't spell it I'm not a very bright man uh, about the author F. Scott Fitzgerald born September 24th 1896 and he died December 21st 1940 uh, he was an American novelist, essayist, short story writer, and he's best known for his novels depicting the flamboyance and excess of the jazz age, a term he popularized in his short story collection, Tales of the Jazz Age. Uh, during his lifetime, he published four novels, four story collections, and 164 short stories. Uh, although he achieved temporary and popular success and fortune in the 1920s, Fitzgerald received critical acclaim only after his death and is now widely regarded as one of the greatest American writers of the 20th century. Or would that be his wife is the greatest American writer of the 21st, uh, 20th century? Because uh, if you listen to episode two, we find out extensively what a turd he was. He literally stole ideas from her diary or uh, intelligent and creative things that she'd just say offhandedly he'd put in his books. So uh, basically she wrote all this stuff. Uh, Want to hear a fun fact? Sure. Everyone likes a fun fact. Fun facts are fun. He kept an extraordinarily detailed record of his life because he's a self-absorbed jerk. Between 1919 and 1937, Fitzgerald obsessively recorded the progress of his life and career at large. Leather-bound business ledgers is what he kept them in. Uh, Much of the ledger is dedicated to recording his published works. Oh, you okay over there? (laughs) Don't be sorry. You can cough on this. It's fine. Uh... Uh, recording his published works as a writer and his income, because he's so self-absorbed, but one section titled Outline Chart of My Life provides a month-by-month account of his activities since birth. Can you imagine if he wasn't a famous writer and he made this thing? He's just an asshole, thinking that his life is so important, and then like nothing happens, and it just kind of goes into obscurity, and then like one of his grandkids just like throws it out. Fitzgerald documented everything from his first word, which apparently was the word up, uh, 
you're a genius, to his height at age 13, 5'3", wow, you're so advanced, to the date he fell in love with Zelda, September 7th, 1918. So many years also include a brief summary sentence. Age 14 is described as a year of much activity, but dangerous. While the headline for 1920, the year he found his fame, reads, Revelry in Marriage, the Rewards of the Year Before. Well, there you go. Uh, what a turd. I don't like this guy. The book's okay, but, you know, it's because his wife wrote it. Uh, why don't we, um, get out of here and, uh, go down to the library where I can read to you the next chapter. Did you hear the cat meowing in the last uh, in the last part there? Uh, that's the world I live in, where there's cats crawling all over the place, ruining my reading to you of Chapter Six of uh, The Great Gatsby. About this time, an ambitious young reporter from New York uh, arrived one morning at Gatsby's door and asked him if he uh, had anything to say. Anything to say about uh, what? Inquired Gatsby politely. Why? Any statement to give out? It transpired after a confused five minutes that the man had heard Gatsby's name around his office in a connection which he either wouldn't reveal or didn't fully understand. This was his day off, and with laudable initiative, he had hurried out, in quotes, to see. That was a random shot, and yet the reporter's instinct was right. Gatsby's notoriety spread about by hundreds who had accepted his hospitality had become author burp, authorities on his past, and it increased all summer until he fell short of bringing news. Contemporary legends such as the Underground Pipeline to Canada attached themselves to him. What the hell is the Underground Pipeline to Canada? I'm not going to look that up. It's not going to show me anything. Attached themselves to him, and there was one persistent story that he didn't live in a house at all, but in a boat that looked like a house that was moved secretly up and down the Long Island shore. Just why these invitations were a source of satisfaction to James Gatz uh, of North Dakota isn't easy to say. James Gatz, uh, that was really, or at least legally, his name. Uh, he had changed it at the age of 17 in a specific moment that he witnessed the beginning of his uh, career. And when he saw Dan Cody's yacht drop anchor over the most insidious flat on Lake Superior, it was James Gatz who had been loafing along the beach in the afternoon in a torn green jersey and a pair of canvas his pants. Though it was already Jay Gatsby who borrowed the rowboat, pulled up to the Tulami, is what they call the boat, and informed Cody that a wind might catch and break him up in half an hour. I suppose he'd had the name ready for a long time even then. His parents were uh, shiftless and unsuccessful farm people, and his imagination had never really accepted them as his parents at all. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Oh, the truth was that Jay Gatsby of West Egg, Long Island, sprang from his platonic conception of himself. He was a son of God, a phrase which, if it meant anything, means just that, and he must be about his father's business, uh, his service of a vast, vulgar, uh, ooh, meretricious, Gonna look up how to say that. That sounds like a fancy ass word. Come on, show me something college educated. Meretricious, apparently attractive, but having no reality, no value, no integrity. 
Okay, well, we learned something new today. Beauty. So he invented just the sort of Jay Gatsby that a 17-year-old boy would likely to be inventing, and that his conception, uh, he was faithful to the end. Over a year, he had been beating his way along the south shore of Lake Superior as a clam digger and a salmon fisher, or, or in any other capacity that brought him food and bed. Uh, his brown, uh, hardening body lived naturally through the half-fierce, half-lazy work of bracing days. Oh, he, he knew women early, and yes, he had, and in a sense then spoiled him because he became contemptuous of them, of young virgins, because they were eh, ignorant of the others, because they were always hysterical about things in which the overwhelming self-absorption that he took for granted. Uh, but his heart was in a constant, turbulent riot. The most grotesque, and fantastic conceits haunted him in his bed at night. Oh, a universe of ineffable gaudiness spun itself out of his brain while the clock ticked on the washstand of the moon soaked with wet light and his tangled clothes upon the floor. Each night he added to the pattern of his uh, fancies until drowsiness closed down upon some vivid scene with an oblivious embrace. Eh, eh, for a while these reveries provided an outlet for his imagination. Yeah, they were a satisfactory hint of the unreality of reality, a promise that the rock of the world was founded securely on a fairy's wing. An instinct toward his future glory had led him, some months before, to the small Lutheran college of St. Olaf in southern Minnesota. Oh, <clears throat> that's actually a real place. I've heard of it. Have I been there? No, I don't go to southern Minnesota. Uh, poor people live there. Uh, he stayed there two weeks, dismayed his ferocious indifference to the drums of his destiny, to destiny itself, and despising the janitor's work in which he was to pay his way through. Then he drifted back to Lake Superior, and he was still searching for something to do on the yacht that Dan Cody's yacht dropped anchor in the shallows along shore. I love the author is uh, writing what he knows, which is just Minnesota, and so he's just talking about that a lot. Apparently, every character of importance comes from Minnesota. Uh, that seems weird. You should try and branch out a little bit. It's a fantasy. Make something up. Cody was 50 years old then, a product of Nevada's silver fields of the Yukon. Oh, of every rush for metal since 75, the transactions in Montana copper that made him many times a millionaire found him physically robust, but on the verge of soft-mindedness. And soft-mindedness. And suspecting this, an infinite number, an infinite number of women tried to separate him from his money. Uh, those women, you gotta watch out for the women. Uh, but none too savory ramifications by which Ella Kay, the newspaper woman, played Madame de Mantillon, to his weakness, and sent him to sea in a yacht, where common knowledge to the turgid subjournalism of 1902. He had been coasting along all too hospitable shores for five years when he turned up as James Gatz's destiny at the Little, little Girl's Point. They actually named something Little Girl's Point? A bunch of pedophiles? All right. To the young Gatz, resting on his oars and looking up at the rail deck, the yacht represented all the beauty and glamour in the world. I suppose uh, he smiled at Cody, and it probably discovered that people liked him when he smiled. At any rate, Cody asked him uh, for a few questions. One of them elicited the brand new name and found that he was quick and extravagantly ambitious. Oh, a few days later, he took him to Duluth. Oh, Duluth, and uh, Minnesota, and brought him a blue coat, six pair of white duck trousers, and a yachting cap. Yeah. And when the Tulemay left for the West Indies and the Barbary Coast, Gatsby left too. 
He was employed in a vague personal capacity. While he was remained with Cody, oh, he was a turn steward, a mate skipper, secretary, and even a even a jailer. A jailer. For Dan Cody, sober, knew what lavish doings Dan Cody drunk might be soon about. Now he had to jail his own boss. And he provided for such contingencies by reposing more and more trust in Gatsby. The arrangement that lasted five years during which the boat went three times around the continent, and it might have lasted indefinitely except for the fact that Ella Kay came on board one night in Boston, and a week later, Dan Cody in hospitality died. I remember the portrait of him up in Gatsby's bedroom, a, a gray, florid man with a hard, empty face. The pioneer debauch, who, uh, who during one phase of American life brought back the eastern seaboard, the savage uh, violence of the frontier brothel, hmm? And saloon? Oh, it was indirectly due to Cody and Gatsby drank so little. Sometimes in the course of gay parties, women used to rub champagne into his hair. For himself, he formed the habit of letting liquor alone. And it was from Cody that he inherited money. A legacy of $25,000. Oh, he didn't get it. He never understood the legal device that was used against him, but what remained of the millions uh, went intact to Ella Kay. He was left with his uh, singularly appropriate education, the vague contour of Jay Gatsby had filled out the substantiality of a man, and uh, he told me all of this very much later. But I put it down here with the idea of exploding these first wild rumors with about his uh, antecedents, oh, which weren't even faintly true. Moreover, uh, he told it to me at a time of confusion, eh? when I had reached the point of believing everything and nothing about him, uh, so I take advantage of this short halt while Gatsby, uh, so to speak, caught his breath to clear his set of uh, misconceptions away. It was a halt, too, in my association with his affairs. For several weeks, I didn't see him or hear his voice on the phone. Mostly, yes, in New York, trotting around with Jordan, uh, trying to ingratiate myself uh, with her senile aunt. What? But finally, I went over to his house one Sunday afternoon. I hadn't been there two minutes when somebody brought Tom Buchanan in for a drink. Well, I was uh, startled, naturally, but uh, the really surprising thing was that it hadn't happened before. They were a party of three on horseback, Tom and a man named Sloan and uh, uh, a pretty woman in a brown riding habit who had been uh, there previously. I'm, del I'm delighted to see you, said Gatsby, standing on his porch. I'm uh, delighted that you dropped in, as though they cared. Sit right down, have a cigar, or a cigarette. And he walked around the room quickly, ringing bells. I'll uh, have something to drink for you in just a minute. He was profoundly affected by the fact that Tom was there, eh, but he would be uneasy anyhow until he had been giving them something, realizing in a vague way that there was all they came for. Uh, Mr. Sloan wanted nothing. A lemonade? No, thanks. A little champagne? No, nothing at all. Thanks. I'm sorry. Did you have a nice ride? Uh, very good roads around here. I suppose the automobiles. Yeah. Burp. Moved by an irresistible impulse, Gatsby turned to Tom, who had accepted the introduction as a stranger. I believe we met somewhere before, Mr. Buchanan. Oh, yes, said Tom, gruffly polite, but obviously not remembering. So we did. I remember very well. Now, about two weeks ago? Yeah, that's right. You were with Nick here. I know your wife, continued Gatsby almost aggressively. That's so? Tom turned to me. You live near here, Nick? Next door. That's so? 
Mr. Sloan didn't enter into the conversation, but lounged back haughtily in his chair. The woman said nothing either, until, uh, uh, unexpectedly, uh, after two highballs, she became cordial. Yeah, well, figure that one out. We all came over to your next party, Mr. Gatsby, she suggested. Uh, what do you say? Yeah, certainly. I'd be delighted to have you. Be very nice, said Mrs. Sloan. It's B-V-E-R with an apostrophe, nice. So I tried to do the best I could with that, said Mr. Sloan without gratitude. Uh, well, uh, think ought to be starting home. And please don't hurry, Gatsby urged them. Uh, we had control of himself now, and he wanted to see more of Tom. Why don't you, uh, why don't you stay for supper? I wouldn't be surprised if some other people dropped in from New York. Uh, you come to supper with me, in all caps, said the lady enthusiastically. Both of you. Uh, this included me. Mr. Sloan got to his feet. Come along, he said, but to her only. I mean it, she insisted. I'd love to have you. Lots of room. Gatsby looked at me questioningly. He wanted to go, but he didn't see that Mr. Sloan had determined he shouldn't. I'm afraid I won't be able to, I said. Well, you come, she urged, concentrating on Gatsby. Mr. Sloan murmured something close to her ear. We won't be late if we start now, she insisted aloud. I haven't got a horse, said Gatsby. I used to ride in the army, but I never bought a horse. I'll have to follow you in my car. Excuse me for just a minute. Well, the rest of us walked out on the porch, and while Sloan and the lady began to impassion conversation, said, My God, I believe the man's coming, said Tom. Doesn't he know she doesn't want him? She says she does want him. Uh, she has a big dinner party, and uh, we don't know, uh, know a soul there, he frowned. I wonder where in the devil he met Daisy. By God, I may be old-fashioned in my ideas, but women run around too much these days to suit me. Oh, they meet all kinds of crazy fish. Yeah, <laughs> crazy fish. Suddenly, Mr. Sloan and the lady walked down the steps and mounted their horses. Eh, Come on, said Mr. Sloan to Tom. We're late. We've got to go. And then to me, I tell him we couldn't wait, will you? Tom and I shook hands, and the rest of us exchanged a cool nod, and they trotted quickly down the drive, disappearing under the August foliage just as Gatsby, with hat and light overcoat in hand, came out the front door. Tom was evidently perturbed at Daisy's running around alone, for on the following Saturday night he came with her to Gatsby's party. Perhaps uh, yeah, his presence gave the... Uh, the evening is peculiar quality of oppressiveness. It stands out in my memory from Gatsby's other parties that summer, but there were the same people, at least the uh, same sort of people, the same profusion of champagne, uh, the same many-colored, many-keyed commotion, but I felt an unpleasantness in the air, a pervading eh, harshness that hadn't been there before, or perhaps I had merely grown used to it, or uh, grown to accept West Egg as a world uh, complete in itself, with its own standards and its own great figures, second to nothing because it had no consciousness of being so. And now I was looking at it again, through Daisy's eyes. It is invariably saddening to look through new eyes at things upon which you've expended your own powers of adjustment. Well, that's a good place to stop, I guess. Uh... I don't exactly feel horny right now, but I think if we both go upstairs to my master bedroom, where everything is made of silk, even the walls... Oh, are the ceilings made of silk? Yes, the ceilings have silk on them. You'll be pleased with that and the mirror suspended above us as we lay in bed and read about the latest upcoming romance novels from Penguin Random House Books.
Oh, there you are. Oh, my God, you're naked. What the hell? We're supposed to work each other into... And you're masturbating. Stop touching that. What are you doing? You're flicking it all weird. What the hell is wrong with you? We're supposed to work each other into a lather. You can't just dive in here naked and masturbating. And now you threw a book at me. Uh, the book's called The Nanny by Lana Ferguson. Uh, uh, about the nanny? Stop doing it. I can see you over there. I'm trying to read this thing. A woman discovers the father of the child she is nannying may be her biggest only fan in this steamy contemporary romance by Lana Ferguson. Suddenly unemployed and on the brink of eviction, Cassie Evans is left with two choices. Get a job and fast or fire up her long untouched OnlyFans account. Okay, I get it. Can you stop masturbating, please? The uh, But the job market's terrible. As for OnlyFans, four dots. Well, there are reasons she can't go back. Ooh, I'd like to learn more about that. Just when all hope seems... Stop touching yourself. And an ad for a live-in nanny position seems like the solution to all her problems. It's almost too perfect until she meets her would-be employer. Just please sit down or something. For God's sakes, you're just like rapid fire, like a little rabbit. Aiden Reed, executive chief and DILF extraordinaire. Yes, is far from the stuffy single dad Cassie was imagining. Oh, he shocks her when he tells her she's the most qualified applicant he's met in weeks, practically begging her to take the job uh, with hands that make her hindbrain howl. Hold on. Honey, what's a hindbrain? The animalistic portion of your brain. It controls, you know, basic motor functions. <laughs> breathing and everything? Okay, basic motor functions. And eyes that scream sex. The idea of living under the same roof as Aiden feels dangerous. But with no other option, she decides to stay with him and his adorably tenacious daughter, Sophie. Cassie soon discovers that Aiden is not a stranger at all, but is instead someone who is very familiar with her, or at least her body. Given that he doesn't remember her, he doesn't. Cassie is faced with what feels like an impossible situation. As their relationship heats up to temperatures hotter than any kitchen Aiden has ever worked in. Oh, that's that's pretty clever. Cassie struggles with Aiden telling the truth, and more terrifying possibly, losing the best chance at happiness she's ever had. Oh, Boy, this sounds hot. You, well, uh, you finally stopped masturbating. Thank you for finally stopping. Uh, the praise, uh, somebody, Ruby Dixon from the international, just an international best-selling author, Ruby Dixon, says, I need more books like The Nanny. Stat. <laughs> yeah. A smart, educated heroine, in parentheses, yes, please, meets a driven, career-focused single dad. Sparks fly, another four dots, and fly and fly. Seriously, the book is like if Allie Hazelwood and Tessa Bailey had a smutty baby. This is disturbing. I devoured every page. It was sad to see it end. This is the spice book talk wants. Now I need Lana Ferguson to work faster because I want to see everything she writes. That was disturbing. Uh, somebody from the singles table says it's smart, fun, and sexy. Uh, somebody from the Publishers Weekly. That's actually a real thing. Ferguson makes the will, the will they, won't they, sing with complex emotional shading and a strong sense of inevitability to a protagonist connection. Rosie Dannon fans should snap this up. Uh, okay, well, that's horseshit. The Nanny by Lana Ferguson. Uh, it's a contemporary romance of women's fiction. You can get it on paperback for $17 at April 11th from Amazon, Barnes Noble, Books A Million, Bookshop.org, Huxton Bookshelves, Powell's Target, and Walmart. 
Well, I'm glad you stopped slapping at that thing like you're trying to fight with a fish. Uh, why don't we go back downstairs and for the love of God, put some goddamn clothes on. Now, there you are. You have to finish your session, you sick, twisted pervert. Uh, I'm glad you put some clothes on, so that's a nice little twist for once. You did what I wanted. Uh, let's continue reading the rest of this chapter. They arrived at twilight, and as we strolled out among the sparkling hundreds, Daisy's voice was playing murmurous tricks in her throat. These things excite me so, she whispered. If you want to kiss me any time during the evening, Nick, just let me know and I'll be glad to arrange it for you. What the fuck? Uh, just mention my name or present a green card. I'm giving out green. Look around, suggested Gatsby. I I'm looking around and I'm having a marvelous. You must see the faces of many people you've heard about. Tom's arrogant eyes roamed the crowd. Uh, we don't go around very much, he said. In fact, I was just thinking I don't know a soul here. Perhaps you'd know that lady. Gatsby indicated a gorgeous, scarcely human orchid of a woman who sat in a state under a white plum tree. Tom and Daisy stared with that peculiarity, unreal feeling that accompanies the recognition of a hitherto ghostly celebrity of the movies. Oh, uh, she's lovely, said Daisy. The man bending over her is her director. He took them ceremoniously from the group to group. Mrs. Buchanan and Mr. Buchanan. After an instant hesitation, he added, the polo player. Oh, no, objected Tom quickly. Not me, but evidently the sound of it pleased Gatsby, for Tom remained the polo player for the rest of the evening. I never met so many celebrities, Daisy exclaimed. Uh, I liked that man, uh, what's his name, with that sort of blue nose. Gatsby identified him, adding that he was a small producer. Well, I liked him anyhow. Uh, I'd a little rather not be the polo player, Tom said pleasantly. I'd rather look at all the famous people in, in oblivion. Daisy and Gatsby danced. I remember seeing surprised uh, by the graceful, conservative foxtrot. Uh, I had never seen him dance before. And they sauntered over to my house and sat on the steps for half an hour while, at her request, I remained watchfully in the garden. In case there's a fire or a flood, she explained. Or, uh, oh, I don't know, any act of God. Tom appeared from his oblivion as we were sitting down to supper together. Uh, do you mind if I eat with some people over here? He said. A fellow getting off some funny stuff. Uh, go ahead, answered Daisy genially. And if you, you want to take down any addresses, here's my little gold pencil. And she looked around for a moment and then told me that the girl was common uh, but pretty. And I knew that for except uh, the half hour she'd be alone with Gatsby, she wasn't having a good time. <clears throat> oh, we were at a particularly tipsy table. Uh, that was my fault. Gatsby had been called to the phone, and I had enjoyed these same people only two weeks before. But what had amazed me then turned septic on the air now. Uh, how do you feel, Miss Baydecker? The girl addressed was trying unsuccessfully to slump against my shoulder. At this inquiry, she sat up and opened her eyes. Why? Uh, a massive and lethargic woman, who had been urging Daisy to play golf with her at the local club tomorrow, spoke in Miss Bedecker's defense. Oh, uh, she's all right now. When she's uh, had five or six cocktails, she always starts screaming like that. And I, I told her she ought to leave it alone. 
I do leave it alone, affirmed the accused hollowly. Uh, we heard you yelling, so I said to Doc Civet here, uh, there's somebody who needs your help, Doc. Uh, she's much obliged, I'm sure, said another friend without gratitude. Uh, I bet you got her dress all wet when you stuck her head in the pool. What the hell is going on? Anything I hate is to get my head stuck in a pool, mumbled Mrs. Bedecker. Uh, but they almost drowned me once over in New Jersey. Apparently people in New Jersey are jerks. I say to my wife from that uncivilized area. Do you have any comment? Oh, you're going to flick me off? Fine. Then you ought to leave it alone, countered Dr. Civet. Speak for yourself, cried Miss Bedecker violently. Your hand shakes. I wouldn't let you operate on me. And it was like that. Almost the last thing I remember was standing with Daisy and watching the moving picture director and his star. And they were still under the white plum tree there. Faces were touching, except for a pale, thin ray of moonlight between. Oh, it, it occurred to me that he had been very slowly bending toward her all evening to attain this proximity. And even, even while I watched, I saw him stoop one ultimate degree and kiss at her cheek. I like her, said Daisy. I think she's lovely. And the rest offended her, uh, inarguably, because it wasn't a gesture but an emotion. She was appalled by West Egg, this unprecedented, quote, place, unquote, that Broadway had begotten upon Long Island, fishing village, appalled by its raw vigor uh, that chafed under the old euphemisms and the too obtruse fate that herded its inhabitants along a shortcut from nothing to nothing. As she saw something awful in the very simplicity she failed to understand, and I sat on the front steps with them while they waited for their car. It was dark here in front, only the bright door sent ten square feet of light volleying about into the soft black morning. Sometimes a shadow moved against a dressing room blind above, uh, gave way to another shadow, eh, an indefinite process of shadows uh, who rouged and powdered in an invisible glass. Uh, who is this Gatsby, anyhow? demanded Tom suddenly. Uh, some big bootlegger? Uh, when'd you hear that? I inquired. I didn't hear it. I imagined it. A lot of these newly rich people are just big bootleggers, you know. Well, not Gatsby, I said shortly, and he was silent for a moment. Then the pebbles of the drive crunched under his feet. Well, he certainly must have strained himself to get his uh, menagerie together. Uh, a breeze stirred the gray haze of Daisy's fur collar. At least they're more interested in the people we know, she said with an effort. Well, you didn't look so interested. Well, I was, and Tom laughed and turned to me. Did you notice Daisy's face when that girl asked her to put her in a cold shower? <laughs> and Daisy began to sing with the music in a, in a husky, rhythmic whisper, bringing out a, a meaning in each word uh, that I had never heard before and would never hear again. And when, when the melody rose... Well, her voice broke up sweetly, following it in a way contralto con voices have. I'm moving on. And each change tipped out a little of her warm human magic upon the air. Lots of people come who haven't been invited, she said suddenly. That girl hadn't been invited. Oh, they, they simply forced their way in, and he's too polite to object. I'd like to know who he is and what he does, insisted Tom. And I think I'll make a point of finding out. I, I can tell you right now, she answered, and he owned some drug stores and a lot of drug stores, and he built them up himself. The dilatory limousine came rolling up the drive. Uh, Good night, Nick, said Daisy, and her glance left me and sought the light atop of the trees where, oh, in all caps, three o'clock in the morning, a neat the sad little waltz of that year was drifting out into the open door. After all, in the very casualness of Gatsby's party, there was romantic possibilities totally absent from her world. What was it? 
up there in the song that seemed to be calling her back inside. What would happen now in the dim, incalculable hours? Perhaps more unbelievable guests would arrive, a person infinitely rare to be marveled at, some authentically radiant young girl with one fresh glance at Gatsby, one moment of magical encounter, to blot out those five years of unwavering devotion. I stayed late that night, Gatsby asked me to wait until he was free, and I lingered in the garden until the inevitable swimming party had run up, uh, chilled and exalted uh, from uh, Black Beach, until the lights were extinguished in uh, the guest rooms overhead. When he came down the steps at last, he did the tan skin was drawn unusually tight on his face, mm, and his eyes were bright, yeah, but tired. Uh, she didn't like it, he said immediately. Oh, of course she did. She didn't like it, he insisted. Well, she didn't have a good time. He was silent, and I guess that is an unutterable dis- uh, depression. Uh, I feel far away from her, he said. It's hard to make her understand. Hey, uh, you mean about the dance? The dance? He dismissed all the dances he had given with a snap of his finger. Old sport, uh, the dance is unimportant. He wanted nothing, nothing less than of Daisy than that he should go into Tom and say, I never loved you. And after he had, uh, she had obliterated four years with that sentence, they could decide upon the more practical measures to be taken. One of them was that, after she was free, that they were to go back to Louisville and be married from her house, just as if it were five years ago. Uh, and she doesn't understand, he said. She used to be able to understand. Uh, we'd sit for hours, Log M-Dash. Uh, he broke off and began to walk up and down a desolate path of fruit rinds and discarded favors and, and crushed flowers. I wouldn't ask too much of her, I ventured. You can't repeat the past. Can't repeat the past, he cried incredulously. Why, why, of course you can. He looked around him wildly as if the past were lurking there in the shadow of the house, just out of the reach of his hand. Uh, I'm going to fix everything just the way it was before, he said, nodding determinedly. She'll see. He talked a lot about the past, uh, and I gathered that he wanted to recover something, some uh, idea of himself, perhaps that he had gone into loving Daisy. His life had been confused and disordered since then, but if he could just return to a certain starting place and go all over slowly, they could find out what the thing was. One autumn night, five years before, they had been walking down the street when the leaves were falling, and they came to a place where there were no trees, and the sidewalk was white with moonlight, and they stopped there and turned toward each other. Now it was a cool night, with that mysterious excitement in it, which comes at the two changes of the year. Uh, The quiet lights in the house were humming into the darkness, and there was a stir and bustle among the stars. Out of the corner of his eye, Gatsby saw that the blocks of the sidewalks where they formed a ladder and mounted to a secret place above the trees, and he could climb to it if he climbed alone, and once there, what the hell's going on? He could suck on the pap of life, gulp down the... comparable milk of wonder. I have no idea what's happening right now. His heart beat faster and faster as Daisy's white face came up to his own. He knew that when he kissed this girl and forever wed his unutterable visions to her perishable breath, his mind would never romp again like the mind of God. So he waited, listening for a moment longer to the turning fork, tuning fork that had been struck upon a star, and then he kissed her. And his lips touched Ah, she blossomed for him like a flower, and the incarnation was complete. Uh, Through all he had said, even though his appalling sentimentality, I 
reminded of something, an elusive rhythm, a fragment of lost words that I had heard somewhere long ago. Uh, For a moment, a, a phrase tried to take shape in my mouth, and my lips parted like a dumb man's. Uh, as though there was more struggling upon them than the wisp of startled air. But they made no sound, and what I had almost remembered was uncommunicable forever. Well, that's the end of that chapter. Did you find that exciting? Why don't we go uh, down to the smoking room, where we can have a, a, uh, a cigar or perhaps a cigarette and talk about what the hell we just read. I hope you can enjoy yourself. Why don't you sit down and light yourself one of these many fine cigarettes that I have here at the table. Uh, let's review what we read. Uh, uh, birds. My wife put the birds in here. Uh, reporter shows up for no reason. They make a point of saying that as his day off, but he just really wants to learn more about Gatsby because he's so mysterious and cool. Uh, and then Nick talks about how Gatsby got his, uh, his name and his money. He kind of hung around a prospector and then just kind of inherited that guy's money or whatever little amount he could get that his uh, his wife couldn't get at. It was pretty strange. Um, and then we have to endure this lame party description and not actually be told about uh, the good stuff when it happens. Uh, well, you know what we don't miss out on? Another description of a party. And even though there's dancing and famous people, Daisy seems distraught. Uh, probably because she's not the center of attention. Uh, apparently, Gatsby tells Nick that he, all he wants is for Daisy to say to Tom that she doesn't love him, and also to leave Tom and start a life with him. Uh, Nick tells him that you can't just recreate the past, but Gatsby says, oh, yes, you can, and, and, and how he'll make everything perfect just like it was. And he kind of freaks out a little bit. It was kind of hard to watch. Uh, he's trying to reconnect his life before the war and who he was back then compared to who he is now. And then uh, Gatsby and Daisy kiss, eh? and he gets all worked up that his plan is working. Uh, What's good about this? Eh, I mean, it's well written, thank God for Zelda, but uh, uh, what sucks? Eh, The people. I'm just reading about people I don't like. It's, um... It's kind of like watching the movement of snails. You see it at first, you're like, oh, this might be good. And then like 10 minutes later, you're like, yeah, this is, this sucks. I don't care about them. They're going to do snail things that I literally am not interested in. And that's what's happening in this story. What do we learn? Well, at this point, we're peeling away the layers of Gatsby. His belief in morals. Uh, the author is wife, extends the themes and uh, truth and lies. Uh, whether it's all from the other characters or just Gatsby's honesty with himself, his money, his identity, his social prominence, and his dreams of love with Daisy. And there's also the story of uh, Gats and Cody, which a little bit, in kind of a weird way, mirrors Nick and Gatsby, except that Nick uh, kind of is aware of the emptiness and the despair that everyone feels in this life, uh, and so he kind of gets out of it while he can. Uh, This chapter also fleshes out Daisy a little bit and how selfish and self-focused she is. Uh, And at the party, her uneasiness was how she couldn't uh, be kind of the center of attention. She didn't like that there was other people prettier than her floating around and people more important and with better jobs because she doesn't have a job as far as we know. Uh, And so she didn't like being around all the famous and glamorous people. So there's that. Uh, Do you like it? I don't. 
I don't know why this book's so goddamn famous. I read that this book uh, was uh, put onto ships for people going out to sea during World War II, and that's how this suddenly got a larger readership and more people talking about it. Just give it away for free to sailors and stuff, and military people that are stuck on ships having to go across the Atlantic. Uh, basically, uh, basically, it's kind of forced. It's kind of like if we're all sitting around forced to watch... Uh, the Tiger King. Then everyone's taught, well, we were, weren't we? Because it was during COVID. We're all forced to watch that show because there's nothing else to watch. Then everyone's talking about it. It's kind of this book. Uh, I mean, it's good. It's well written, I guess. You're kind of showing the crappy life of people, but hundreds of pages of the crappy life of people gets a little exhausting after a while. Uh, what else? Uh, I guess I basically feel like I'm on an island. Twitter's more or less dead, and that's where there was a huge population of podcasters all talking to each other, and we all made friends, and it was a lot of good times. Uh, but now there's no way to really comment on each other's shows. So I listen to Elton Reads a Book. I listen to Words About Books. I listen to Unsighted. But you can't really go say hi because no one checks their messages, so no one gives a shit. So, uh, but I still hear Unsighted mention me every once in a while on their show. So I feel like I do the obligatory, hi, Unsighted. Uh, boy, aren't you guys great in how you make fun of me all the time. Uh, so there, I'm doing it back now. Are you happy? There's no way we're going to talk to each other about it because our line of communication has been cut by Elon Musk. Uh, oh, thank God. The grandfather clock's finally going off. It means you got to get the hell out of my house. Uh, go back to your, I don't know, roommate. I don't know. What kind of life do you live? You're a grown-ass person coming to an old man's house and begging them to read to you. It's sad and it's weird. Uh, so I'm sure you'll come back next week. Uh, well, continue reading the rest of this book. Or if you don't, I don't have to read this crap anymore. So please don't come back. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com, which uh, basically just points you to Mastodon. Why did I go all in with Mastodon? I have no idea. But if you go there, it'll uh, point you to my link tree where you can listen to episodes, which is confusing uh, and meticulous. Uh, but if you want to go to just my link tree, which is L-I-N-K-T-R dot ee slash nuzzlehouse it'll uh, point you to all the rest of my shows like uh, glenn reads books to you which you're listening to right now uh just stating the curious mind where my wife and i uh write uh, paranormal smut and then publish it on amazon and also nuzzlehouse's cbs radio mystery theater where we basically create our own episodes of radio mystery theater a show from the 70s uh, because they don't make them anymore damn it we want to hear something new Oh, I'm also on Instagram, uh, something that I try to use but dislike, which is uh, Instagram.com slash House Nuzzle. And uh, the lesser now, thanks to uh, Elon Musk, uh, Twitter. Used to be my home, and now I can't stand it, which is uh, Twitter.com slash House Nuzzle. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, 
you can always just email me directly, glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com. But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdling or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's gotta be one left. 